Thanks for listening to audio from Rockhaven Church. For more information on our ministry, please visit us at our website at www.rockhavenchurch.org. So if you remember back in Joshua chapter 1, there's this really famous verse, uh, at least it is for me, and, and God is calling Joshua, and he says it in Deuteronomy, he says it in Joshua, he says it multiple times in this book, where he says, uh, Joshua, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. It's a great verse. I, 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 it's been a verse that has impacted me in a lot of ways as I've grown up uh, in my faith as well. But I, I asked the question a few weeks ago when we started this to myself, okay, I know what it means to be strong, but what, is it, what on earth does it mean to be courageous? What, what does that mean? Does it mean to be courageous specifically in this aspect as a, as a Christian, to be a courageous Christian? Because I know what courage is. I know what courage is when you think of it in, in the worldly sense. We look at courage and we see examples of it all over the, the news and examples of it in life. We see people being courageous and doing things that are kind of daring, kind of dangerous, uh, something that's challenging to them. But, but is that the same thing for, for Christians? Do we have a different understanding of courage? Because I think we do. I think there is such a thing as biblical courage, as godly courage. It's a virtue as Christians that we need to embody, that we need to have more of. Because sometimes I feel like as Christians, we're just kind of like, well, I'll just kind of be here and I'll kind of survive this weather and survive the, the things that are going on in this world. And then when Jesus comes back, then it'll be okay. But, but that's not what we see in the Bible. How do we take what we read in Joshua, be strong and courageous, and, and apply that to us. How do we apply that to us? Because we're going to read about the fall of Jericho today. And I think uh, there's, a, there's a lot of us who have heard this story before. And you can tell this story, and we're not going to have time to even read all of the chapter, because I'm hoping that you are reading along and ahead with us in Joshua. But how do we actually, what do we do with this chapter? What do we do with this chunk of scripture that's going to mean something to us? And I think this has a lot to do with what does it mean to be courageous as Christians? How can we be courage. How can we have that? Because it's not just, you know, strapping our boots on tighter and just putting our head down and being more stubborn, but it's something more than that. So here's what uh, G.K. Chesterton says, and I think this is really right on. Courage is a strong desire to live, taking the form of a readiness to die. A strong desire to live, taking the form of a readiness to to die. And you're like, well, that seems like a paradox, Joel. Well, it kind of is. A strong desire to live. We get that. That's the worldly side of things. We get courage where it's like, in the face of danger, in the face of trials, I'm going to be courageous because I just, I just don't want to die. That's what drives us. It's fight or flight, right? That's the natural inclination of people. But when we add Christianity to this, when we say we are not just, uh, I'm not just a person living in the world who likes Jesus, I'm a Christian. My whole life is caught up in following Christ. Now my courage looks different. Now I'm not just, I don't want to die, because we embody what Paul says, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Now, no one, now I'm not saying we look forward to death, but death is not the end. Death is not a final cue to, I've tried my best and I guess my life is over. Death is the entryway into an eternity with God himself. Now it's a desire, a strong desire to live, but taking the form of a readiness to die that you can't do any harm to me in this life that won't cause me to be better off in the next. That's, that's courage. And what is that actually getting at? 
that's getting at what is your courage based on? What is the foundation, the, sol- the solidarity of our courage? How do we go from somewhere? Because the worldly courage is, I don't want to die. Okay, great. The Christian courage is built on a foundation of Jesus, that you can't do anything in this life that won't benefit me, that you can't persecute me that won't cause me to worship. You can't push me that won't cause me to turn more on Christ. You can't afflict me to the point where I cannot find more affliction than Jesus has done for me. That's the base. That, that changes the direction a little bit, doesn't it? Because now it's not, I'm just trying to survive the world of chaos and bad news stories but now I'm actually thriving as a Christian because now my, my foundation and courage gives me a mission. It gives me a purpose. It gives me a direction in my life that all of my actions now go. It's not just I'm doing something because I, I I'm, I'm just have to do something. I'm doing something because I feel this is what God is calling me to do. This is for God's kingdom. This is for the expansion of God's glory. Now everything we do has purpose, intentionality. Because as we begin to jump into the fall of Jericho, we're going to see Joshua doing some of these uh, incredible, incredible things. Okay, so let's start in verse 1. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. Okay, this, this is, they are packed in. This is a a fortress. This has been around for thousands of years. This has been occupied by many different people groups over many different years. And this is kind of a stronghold. This is kind of the the middle of Israel. Because what Joshua is going to do in this book is he's going to go in and we're going to conquer Jericho. You already know this. I'm not spoiling this for you. You guys know what happens. He's going to conquer Jericho and they're going to split Israel. and They're going to conquer the south and then conquer the north. This is like the middle. This is like the fortress to the land of Israel. And the people of Jericho are terrified. Remember back in chapter 2, Rahab's like, the people are scared of you because they're, they're melting before you. He, she used that word. They're melting before you. That's what God promised in the song of Moses after they crossed the Red Sea. The people of the land will melt away. And here they are. They're afraid. They're, they're shut up in their building. They're shut up in their walls. Okay? Shelby, you got that, you got that picture ready for you? Okay, so I got a picture here. I don't use a lot of visual aids when I teach. But this is actual picture from the walls of Jericho. But I want you to get a picture for this, okay? So where the picture is being taken from is we're on top of the inner wall. So remember, there's two walls in Jericho. This is the inner wall. You can kind of see in the bottom right corner, there's some bricks there. The wall is six and a half feet thick. It's not a little wall. This is not. It's, and they're, they're fairly tall, okay? And if you see near the very end of it, you can see more bricks kind of at the top middle. That's the second wall. Okay, so we've got a large chunk of space between that. And then on the other side of that, you see it just kind of drops off, right? That's where Israel is. And if this is picture is taken from a Jerichoite or a person in Jericho, I would think they're feeling kind of, we're going to shut ourselves in and no one's going to get in. This is, nope, not this, this Israel people. Remember they crossed the river, they didn't come out and get them. They're, they're afraid. And they're afraid of what Israel is going to do. This, this people that has come on, that it continues to conquer cities, and, and they have no issue with this because their God is mighty. Their God is powerful. So they're, they've shut the doors. They're, no one gets into this, okay? No one gets in here. So imagine now, what are we going to do? This is what people are thinking. Now imagine what Israel is thinking. Imagine what they're feeling. All of a sudden, they're looking at this double wall, this city that's been fortified for thousands of years. Keep going. 
You can go to the blank screen, Shelby, if you would. Verse 2, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the mighty men of valor. So this is, this is exactly what happened. You can imagine God bringing Joshua up and saying, hey, you see that city with all the walls? Yeah, it's, I've already given it to you. What would you do as, as, as Joshua? What would, what would we do with this? Because if I was a worldly courageous person, I would just be like, I would just be like how am I going to do this? I've got to think through a plan. I've got to think through how I'm going to rouse up my people to be so excited we can charge into facing certain death with two walls. But just at the end of chapter 5, an angel of the Lord comes and Joshua falls on his face and the angel goes, are you with me? And he goes, no, I'm on God's side. And Joshua's like, okay, I got this. And here he is and God brings Joshua to the walls and says, I've already given you this. That's the foundation of courage. This is already yours. The battle's already won. See the song? It fits. Perfect, right? The battle's already won. I've already given this to you. Which is one of the ways that we can be courageous, okay? We can be courageous because we, already, we are courageous in Christ, Okay? If you're a note taker, this is point number one. Courage in Christ. Courageous in Christ. As we move forward, this is not built on something like, oh, I'm a Christian, so therefore I have to have a little bit of extra mustard up gusto to go conquer things out. Okay? This, is, this is not what we see in Joshua. This is not what we see in Jericho. He sees before this city that is known to be a military stronghold, and God's like, I've already given it to you. Okay, how would that change how you approach things in life? If you approach something that's difficult or scary or uncomfortable or makes you anxious. I mean, have you guys had those nights where you're, where you're sitting there and, you're, and your chest is tight because you're not sure how you're going to make the next payment or you're not sure how tomorrow is going to go or you're not sure what life is going to happen next and you're nervous and you're overwhelmed? Is it, is it just me? I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. But if I already start to think about if I have Christ in me, this isn't regular what the other people were seeing in the land. This is an idolatry where they have a God with them. Christ is in us. That's an entirely different magnitude. That's an entirely different thing that Jesus lives inside of us. As we move forward in courage to know that the battle is already won, that God has already done what he's going to do, that I just need to walk in what God has called me to do, that's an entirely different kind of courage. Now this isn't courage in face of, I don't want to die. This is courage in face of, God, what are you doing? And I'm ready to go do what you need me to do. That's a whole different type of thing. That's a whole different game we're talking about now. You shall march around the city and all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark. And on the seventh day, you shall march around the city uh, seven times, and the priests shall blow on their trumpets. And when they make a long blast of the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the walls of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, and everyone straight before them. Uh, and so Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant, and let the seven priests bear the trumpets of the ram's horn before the ark of the Lord. Kind of interesting instructions, isn't it? Kind of interesting instructions. I've already given this to you. Okay, so here's a question I had when I was reading this. Because this is what we do as, as Christians. We read a Bible story and we go, where do I fit? Okay, so maybe the question I ask is, is who's the hero of the story? Okay, and my first thought is, well, it's Joshua. No, it's not. 
It's not Joshua. Joshua's the name that we read. Oh, his name's in the book, so he has to be the hero. No. He's maybe a hero of the faith. He might be in Hebrews 11. But the hero of the story is not Joshua. The hero of the story is God. I have already given it to you. Who's done the conquering? It's, it's not Joshua. Joshua has probably the worst military strategy in the history of military campaigns in this. I'm going to march around a city and we're going to shout and blow a trumpet and then they're going to give up. That would not work unless God had done something, right? Unless God had done something. Who is the hero of this? It's God. And this is the same thing for our lives. As we continue to encounter things in life that are hard, that are difficult, that are even things in our life that are sin, it's not that I have to try harder and then Jesus will come and save me. I'm not the hero of my own story. We can't even be the hero of our own story. God has to come in and to save me from myself. Jonathan Edwards said, well, the only thing that I bring to salvation is the sin that requires salvation. That's all I bring to the table is sin. God is the one who comes in and brings me out of it and redeems me and does the work. He's the hero. If we're going to put ourselves in the story of Jericho, I'm the person in the walls. I'm Rahab. I'm the person who's wrestling with sin who needs someone to save me. That's, that's who I am. I am not the hero of this. Okay. Courage. Uh, verse 7. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass before the ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of the ram's horn before, went, before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpet with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. You're going to see a little bit of a pattern here, okay? First off, you've already noticed there's a, there's a pattern of seven. There's a lot of priests marching. There's a lot of seven trumpets. There's a lot of ram horns. There's a lot of shouting. There's a lot of singing, okay? What on earth are they talking about? Why are they doing this the way this is? This is very, very specific instructions. Why? Maybe this is just me. Maybe this is how I read the Bible. I just read it maybe weird. Why do they do these things? Because is it just because they should do this? I feel like this is just Christianity. Why do I do the things that I do? Well, it's because I'm supposed to do this. Well, that's not a very good reason to do things. Why are they doing things that the way they are? Because one, God has commanded them to do this. The theme of Joshua, as we're going to see again and again, is obedience. Is God calling us to do something? And we just need to, as Christians, to do what he says. That's the simple truth of it is to obey. It's not that hard. We sometimes just don't want to do it. But I think God does something on purpose in this because he wants to show us something greater. Okay? What is God continually demonstrating in this? That we have courage in Christ, but we can also have courage in what God is doing in the meantime. Could God have conquered Jericho in seven seconds? Yes. Well, why does, Jer- why does God take seven days? Is it because he was warming up his power? <laughs> no, because he wanted us to walk around the city seven times to make us feel like fools? No. What uh, is God doing in this? Why is God taking this time? And here's my theory, here's my thought, is because I think one of the most misconstrued things in Christianity that we don't talk about is spiritual growth is not instantaneous. As Christians, so often, at least for me, I, 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 we, we expect to be mature right now. We live in a world where it's, we're a microwave generation, and I'm, I'm guilty of it. I order something on, online, I watch the tracking like a hawk. I want to know if it's going to be late. I, you know, I'm just, that's the way I am. But that's not how Christianity works. We're so often about, well, I, I, I did my prayer for the day, I went to church that Sunday, I read my Bible, now I'm more mature right now, Right? I think there is 
we need to talk about this more as a church, that it takes time. And that is okay that it takes time. It's supposed to take time. Things that take time to grow are worth growing because they are not shallow. They are not flippant. They're not temporary, but they are deep. They have roots. They last. And we are eternal beings living, learning about an eternal God. It does take time. And I think part of this is we need to give God the time, not for him to work, but for him to work in me, for him to work in us as I continue to grow. I remember a conversation I had with a mentor of mine in college, and I was saying, I really wish I was more mature than I am right now. I really want to be more mature than I am so I could have more mature conversations about stuff. And he looked at me and says, if you were more mature, you'd understand that you can't be that way. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's pretty funny. Don't get me wrong. I didn't like it at the time. But that's what it, it's, it's, there is a journey. There is a process. There is a, the courage is in the waiting. There's the second point. The courage is in the waiting. The, the, the patience, and really what patience is, and the, and the courage to have this is, I am not relying on myself, which is what worldly courage does. I'm relying on God. I'm relying on Christ. I'm relying on him inside of me to do the work. Not saying, I'm a Christian and I'm going to do this, and then if it goes well, say, yay, Jesus. No, no, no. Christianity is not an extracurricular activity. Christianity is, is, is who I am. I belong to Christ. And he is my God, and he is at work in me. And if it takes me days, months, or years to see something happen. How many of us, I'm, I know I've been guilty of it, where I pray for something and I expect God to answer it tomorrow or in the next five minutes, when maybe part of the journey is God has asked me to learn to pray and to be dependent on him for a period of time. Now, am I saying there, you have to do it for so many months? I don't know. But I'm saying in the patience, in the waiting, God is at work. It is not on his fault that we are impatient. It is on our fault that we are impatient. Verse 9. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. This is one of the rare instances, and I find this so interesting. Uh, we see warfare and worship combined in this moment. This is, think about that. We see warfare and worship combined in this moment. It's in, in radical, direct obedience to what God is doing. Israel is marching around the city, and they are blowing and, tr- and shouting. This is a part of what they are doing in worship. Another example would be Psalm 145. Something for life as we continue to walk in the middle, in, in between, in the seasons of life that are difficult, in the seasons of life where faith seems a little hard. Worship is part of this. It is an integral part of this. But then Joshua commands the people, do not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout, then you shall shout. Joshua gives this command, you shall not say a word. Can you imagine the silence of every day walking around the city and all you hear is the chink of armor? just walking around, not a, not, a, not a whisper, not a shout, and they get out and leave. I mean, I, maybe this is me. I'm imagining what the people of Jericho are looking at and saying, what are they doing? Is this an intimidation factor? <laughs> are, are, are they nervous? I think they're nervous because they're melt and melt away beforehand, and for seven days they walk around, they get to the end, blow the trumpets, give a good shout, and on the seventh day they do it seven times, okay? Uh, And then in verse 12, Joshua rose early in the morning and the priest took up the ark of the Lord 
And the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of the horn before the ark walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually, and the armed men were walking before them. And yeah, and then the seven, second day they marched, and it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on. Okay. Verse 16. And on the seventh day, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Joshua, being strong and courageous, goes back. He says, it didn't say, we've conquered the city. Look what I've done for you. He says, shout for the Lord has given it to you. The walls have done nothing yet. Shout for what the Lord has done. Not shout for what the Lord is doing. Shout for what the Lord has done. And the city and all that within it shall be devoted to, um, yeah, and all for devoted for destruction. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in their house shall live because of the messengers and her faithfulness put in God. So everyone in the city is devoted to destruction except for the one who had faith. The one who had faith. Verse 20, so the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the walls fell down flat. Okay, notice they didn't didn't say the walls fell in, the walls fell out, the walls went down. They went down. It is not something, you know, people all over are trying to disprove things in the Bible. Saying, well, that didn't really happen. Well, that didn't really Well, did you know there's archaeological proof of this? If you actually look at the layers in in the wall, you can see all the walls. And there's one instance where the walls just come down. I find that extremely ironic that no one's talking about that. <laughs> that God is doing something incredible. That God has done something incredible. The walls fell down flat and they come over the, into it and they conquer the city. And the Lord just gave it to them. Can you imagine being in the city and you're wondering what's going on and they're shouting and I don't know if it was an earthquake or if the walls just gave way but all of a sudden it's just done. Would you not feel your whole life and your whole essence just be like, I'm done. And as an Israelite, to see God did something absolutely incredible and miraculous, would it not empower you? Would it not encourage you in your faith to say, God can do whatever he wants. He just conquered a city by shouting and and trumpets because we were faithful and obedient to what God has said. And that's really the last point is courage and obedience. we're, We're courage because we have Christ in us. We're courageous in the waiting, but we're courage because we have obedience to what God is doing and we trust that he can do it better than I can. That, and that's a faith that I have to have. Not because it's something that I want, because it's hard for me to let go of control. It's hard for me to let go of things because I'm afraid. But I, I continue to throw all of my weight into what God is doing. He's going to do incredible things. I almost asked the question, because I'm, I'm reading this, and I would, I would feel absolutely ridiculous walking around a city and then shouting for seven days. Just being honest, I would feel ridiculous doing that. But then at the same time, I'm wondering, what is God asking me to do that I feel, no, that's ridiculous, God. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to look like an idiot. When really God is saying, just watch what I'm going to do when, you, when you're obedient. Just, just watch. I think of those ver- the verse in Habakkuk where he's like, you're not even going to believe you if I told you. Can you imagine? Oh, yeah, by the way, you're going to march on the, march on the city, and then the walls are just going to go down. Sure. They wouldn't even believe him, but they had obedience and they walked forward, and look what happened. It was an effortless victory. God just gave it to them because God is in control. God is in command of whatever is happening in this world. Sometimes I know you watch the news, and it feels like the world is going crazy, and I'm not sure what's happening. And Oh, man, I don't know how this is going to work out. God's still in control. God still has it. God's still guiding, even though it feels like 
I just want to survive. I just want to get back. And Jesus, if you could come back tomorrow, that'd be great. We have been given a purpose and a mission now to obey and to have courage. And I think even more, as we continue to live as Christians, we need courage. And our courage has to, has to, has to be found in Christ. Otherwise, what are we being courageous for? So, Mariel, bring your team up, please. Is at work. God is doing something. And what are we to join him in doing that? We have a courageous courage to walk, knowing that Jesus is our foundation, that he's our start, he's our beginning, he is our everything, and he is our end. He's at work in all of these things. As we trust and wait in God when times are hard, when times are good, when times are just meh, God is still God, and he is our God. Have a great Sunday. Let me know if you have questions. Talk to you guys later.